0: Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. And welcome to episode 22 of the Testimony Podcast. Did you know that when we get angry and frustrated with God, and we all do from time to time, he doesn't want us to repress how we feel. He doesn't want us to pretend everything's okay. He doesn't want us to hide our feelings from him. Rather, he wants us to be honest with him, to tell him what we think, tell him what we feel. When we feel sorrowful or even close to despair, he doesn't want us to pretend that that's not how things are. Sometimes we have to pour out our feelings, our heart, our brokenness and our disappointment to God. Sometimes we have to lament in his presence. If that sounds strange to you, I'd encourage you to look in the scriptures and see for yourself the biblical precedent for these things. Look at the story of Elijah. Look at the Psalms. Look at the book of Lamentations. You'll see the Bible even has a book in it named after the word lament. There's nothing irreverent or blasphemous about coming to God with your feelings. Rather, it's through an honest submission of who we are to him that we find our way back to hope and obedience and submission to him. My guest today knows a thing or two about contending with God. She is the writer, screenwriter and actor Susan Isaacs, author of the very topical book Angry Conversations with God. In this episode, Susan speaks to us out of the wisdom of her experiences of wrestling with God, being honest with him, confronting him, and finally submitting to him. But before we get to Susan's story, this episode is sponsored by Publishers Storycraft Press and their novel, Urban Angel, written by me under the name A.J. Chamberlain. Urban Angel is a story of courage, redemption, and spiritual warfare set in contemporary London. Here's a flavour of the story. One day the church will be made perfect, but for now she bears the scars of war. Alex Masters knows all about that war. For her, the journey to faith has been marked by grief and loneliness, but still she chooses to believe. Daisy is a child of the social media generation, lost in every belief and none. When tragedy strikes, she seeks out her cousin Alex because she knows that Alex understands what it is to face the darkness. They come together believer and unbeliever, hunted by an enemy that will do whatever it takes to achieve its goal. Alone, Alex and Daisy would be defenceless, but this is not a struggle against flesh and blood, and not every weapon is visible. Urban Angel by AJ Chamberlain is available right now in ebook and paperback format from bookstores, Amazon, and all the major ebook platforms. So back to this episode with my guest, Susan Isaacs, I loved the fact that in our conversation, Susan described herself as too wild for the church and too tame for the world. I wonder if some of you feel like that sometimes. I had a great conversation with Susan. I hope you'll enjoy and feel blessed by listening to what she has to say. This is her story. Okay, Susan, welcome to the Testimony Podcast. It's great to have you as our guest today. Really good to have an opportunity to talk to you. Thank
1: you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So I'd like to start by just asking you if you could tell us a little bit about um, your childhood and your upbringing in your, your personal history, really?
1: Sure. I was born in Hollywood in um, a building, which now belongs to the Scientologist, which is a little creepy, um, <laughs> uh, but that's the portal through which God delivered me into the world. Um, I was raised in Southern California. I spent a year abroad in London, actually. And the rest of the time I've, I've, you know, lived in Southern California. I spent a few years in New York, but growing up, um, I was pretty fortunate in that I grew up in a very vibrant Lutheran church where Jesus was really present. And my mother was a woman of great faith. And it was during the 60s in the Jesus movement. So we even had a little of that jingly jangly thing going on. Um, Our youth pastor went on to to found a church that became very instrumental in in the 80s called the Vineyard.
0: Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ken Gullickson started it and he was like our youth pastor when I was five. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot happening there. And so I had, unlike a lot of people that maybe grew up in a traditional or mainline church, you hear hear more of churches that are just kind of going through the motions. No, Jesus was really, really present and very present in our household. Uh, My father um, had a very bad experience growing up in the church and, and was very angry and left, left the church and really only came back until the last couple of years of his life. So there was tension in the family that way. Um, but my mother had a very, very strong faith. I mean, every morning I woke up and she was, had her Bible open, um, was reading her study Bible and my utmost for his highest by wall, Oswald Chamberlain. And she play, prayed for um, her children. And I also had that thing growing up of always feeling like I was too wild for the church and too tame for the world. Part of the, you know, dysfunction of you know any family, um, the dysfunction in my family, I sort of developed a sense of humor as sort of my coping mechanism, and it was just my father was a. a a comedian. I'm not, he was just a natural born comedian. He, he loved comedy and I developed that, but it also became a, a way to deflect things. And I just had a natural gift for humor and found acting and theater. And, um, I never felt like I fit in with the world. You know, I was too much of a religious person. And in the church, I felt like, you know, they were always like, well, why don't you do some, some Bible skits? And I'm like, no, there's nothing funny in the Bible except maybe the stuff that's unintentionally funny. Um, so I, I, I always felt like I didn't belong somewhere. And that was like my entire life growing up, mm. but mm. I, I started college and um, just was very lost. And it was during college, my sec- that I really returned to the church really embraced my faith.
0: And I wondered if you could share with us maybe two or three instances where, Um, you felt that God has really been your companion and these could be like good times or very difficult times. um, And it could be stuff which is resolved or it could be stuff, which is still kind of untidy now. How how has that worked out for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I will certainly say when I was, um, I I started college early, I was 17 and that pressure was terrible. And I really felt that lack of meaning and purpose, and returned to my faith, and I really felt the presence of God with me, of saying, "Hey, I love you, and I have plans for your life, and come with me on this journey." And I really felt God, God's presence. And my junior year, I, I went to England, and um, I really felt God's presence with me there. I joined the Christian Union. Um, I wasn't just the American, you know, hanging there out with other Americans. I, I embraced. And really felt that community. But I would say, um, I really felt God with me in the worst times. And I will say, when I hit 40 and my life fell apart, I felt God's complete absence. Like mm. I wondered, you know, I'd always had this, I know that I know that I know. And I felt this thing of like, maybe I don't know anything. And I think God removed his presence. So mm-hmm. I felt like somebody might feel like, I wish I could believe in God, but I can't. I don't have that thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe this is all a lie. And I started really contending and fighting um, and just having it out with this thing that I thought was God. It's one of those things where at the time I was like, there is, I, I, maybe, maybe there isn't anything. And I look back and I see how much God was present in that. So sometimes I can, I can look back and, and say God was completely instrumental in that. Because the one thing that when my whole life fell apart is I realized that my image of and this is what I wrote the book about uh, my memoir, um, where I take God to counseling because we're not getting along, is that my fundamental imago image of God was not accurate. And it was so embedded that it was very hard to divorce that guy because it, it, that I had made God in my own image and there were certain, th- like, I felt like God was always just tolerating. He liked other people better than me. He just kind of tolerated me. Like I, Jesus was like, Hey, come on, dad. You know, can you just kind of let Susan hang out. All right. Mm-hmm. Like that so was would, my, Would you say God. that
0: was, that was how you saw God? Cause I'm, I'm interested to to do a kind of comparison between how you saw God for all those years and what the more authentic vision of him is now that you have.
1: Right. Well, and I wouldn't say this is something, it's more like when you're forced to look at it, we can maybe say with our lips and in our conscious mind, say one God is one thing, but when we are not looking, the thoughts that flit through our mind, knee-jerk reactions, the thought of like uh, the fear or the anger or the hurt or the, the mm. things that's pent up that we're not willing to admit, Hmm. says a lot more about our real image of God. And it took my life falling apart and having like an existential breakdown to go in and talk to a therapist about it to get me to recognize that the, my real image of God was he was an ass. He didn't care anything about me. Um, He kind of detested me, but just allowed me to exist. And that was the thing that I had to confront that, um, my therapist made me say, I want you to vocalize out loud how you hear God talking. And the thing that came on my mind was like, wow, that's that's like totally messed up. But I also realized that I got a lot of mileage out of that. By saying God is just mean to me, therefore, I don't have to listen to him or everything that's wrong in my life is his fault. It was a very childish thing. And I think that's the thing everyone needs to go through is that whatever you believe about somebody else or whether it's god or another person or whatever or the government whatever it is is that this image that you hold on to you're getting mileage out of it it's convenient for you when real maturity is to maybe recognize maybe i've seen this in the political sphere all the time let's demonize the other side and make all the problems belong that it's somebody else's fault so now I mean I can't even imagine to know the mind of God but I have had moments to recognize that maybe God's crazy about me and that I and that he I wake up and he's like oh great Susan's up what kind of day are we going to have today together what kind of hard thing is she going to have to face mm. that I can be here for for what what mm. it's not about so get up so I can teach you a lesson that that's not what it is if the glory with the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy his presence forever then of course we're going to get it wrong I mean isn't that the whole point of Genesis yeah we totally mess up isn't the point that Jesus said I came that you might have life and have it to the full like what if we could all get over ourselves and just be like yeah I'm an I'm an idiot I totally messed up that 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 we are missing the point of, of obviously there's sin in the world and there's sin in us and there's terrible evil and we must confront it. But so much of my image of God is just that, like, open your eyes. Everything that you see around you is a gift that, that God has given me. And, and to walk into that mystery and being willing to let go of these old tapes that came from childhood or, or whatever, or from inside of me, that mm-hmm. he is, you know, the, 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 Scariest thing I had to confront was God was like, I am nothing like how you think I am. I'm nothing like that. I'm much better and kinder and more passionate and more loving and more, more offended by evil than you could ever imagine. And I love that person you hate far more than you could ever imagine.
0: So I'm just thinking as you were saying those words, in one sense, it might we might think, Hey, this is this. This should have been easy for you. This should be good because this really bad guy, or this guy that you think didn't love you, actually does. It's it, it. all on the surface, it all sounds like good news, but more deeply, I suspect it was a very difficult psychological journey to completely reorientate one of the most important relationships in your life. Oh well, yeah, it was like just taking up, ripping out the foundations and putting it all back together again somehow. Right.
1: Right. Well, and it was also terrifying to think yeah. what if God is absolutely crash- passionately crazy about me, loves me, and really wants to know me? And I have to let him in completely because we all have this fear if I open up to God, he will annihilate me. That is a common universal terror. I was absolutely terrified. And part of me was like, oh no, argh. you know, there was just part of this revulsion. Don't let anyone get close. You know, we all I mean for me, that's how I grew up. I grew up with an armor. That's how I protected myself. I, you know, uh my dad says I grew up with, grew up with my dukes up. You know, I was like, mm. you know, I was I was ready to fight because I was youngest yeah, of four and the family was chaotic and I was like, this is how I, you know, I'm I'm when it, it's fight or flight, I fight. Um, So that was very, very scary. And again, I got so much that God who was a jerk was very convenient to my whole entire MO
0: because
1: I then if God's a jerk, then I'm in control and I get to call the shots because I know better. Mm. So there's a huge amount of letting go like and this is another thing that you go through, you know, a certain part of you get to a certain time of your life where you if, if you're on the right road, you will fail. There is a natural journey because it is a journey of a human being is if you are doing it right, then you will come to a necessary failure and a necessary humbling. And you won't you can't orchestrate it. you have to be forced in it because you have to get to the deeper journey first half of life is about establishing who you are and what you care about and what's right and, and finding your identity. And those things will stop serving you. And you have got to allow life. You've got to allow God to take things apart and get to a deeper journey. And it's a natural and necessary humiliation. And so I would say allowing God to reorient my life and my image of him and for him to, it, I went kicking and screaming. You know, I thought like I'm a really great comedic actor. I had Danny DeVito say, "You just hang in there. It's going to happen. You just keep doing this, and you, it's going to happen for you." And it didn't. And I was like, "Come on, God! You know, you owe me. I have devoted myself to you. I've been in church twice a week. I have, you know, always honored you. And I am no, I'm talented. And I, and, and come, come on, where is it?" where's the thing? I had mm. someone go, I can't figure out why you're not successful. I'm like, or someone said, I think God's protected you from success. I'm like, really? I wish you would be a little less, you know, concerned. Um, but th- I had a necessary. Just out self- of
0: interest. Do you think that was true? That, 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 or was that just, was that like, that's one of those things people say, and it may not have applied to you.
1: Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. I I can't say. Um, it's very possible if I had gotten successful, I would be dead by now from one, you know, how many successful people have had, you know, addictions out the wazoo. I had so much emotional wounding that I spent all my, well, people, all my peers were spending their time getting famous and sexual. I was spending all my time trying to get emotionally well in counseling and therapy and dealing with Mm -hmm. various things. And that's Mm -hmm. what I made. That's what I devoted my life to and church and all of that. Um, and that also only had a limit to what it could do. So it might have been the case. Sure. Um, I also I think, you know, I was a very talented actor, but I was also a very talented writer and I tried to do two things the whole time. So I did two things pretty well rather than doing one thing exceptionally well. I, I really don't know. Um, I, in, in light of eternity, it, it it's all gonna come out in the wash, and um, I don't know if you've ever read Tolkien's short story "Leaf by Niggle."
0: No, I haven't. To tell oh. us about that,
1: um, this guy's incredible artist, and he is trying to get a commission to paint this tree. There's this tree in his mind, and he can see it, and he paints a leaf from it, and it's so extraordinary. And he gets a grant for it, and he gets money, and he he um, but he's constantly interrupted by the other things going on around him and people he has to take care of. Um, And he's constantly being thwarted. And then there's this massive storm and the the council comes and takes his canvas and they use it to patch the roof of the house next door. And, and, you know, he just, you know, he never, never, nothing ever gets done except for the the leaf. And he sees the tree and he's just so frustrated because he's he's an incredible artist and he sees that tree in his mind. Um, And it's all taken away and he dies. And he wakes up in heaven and the people who he had cared for are there. Um, the people he had loved are there and they're all under this tree. And he can finally experience the tree mm. in its fullness
0: mm.
1: in, where he could only like catch a glimpse of it in his mind. And mm. on earth that, you know, there's a fire and the, the, the leaf is burned up, the, the painting but he is in heaven and all the people that he brought in because of the care that he had to do and the people whose lives he saved, whether externally or internally are there and they are all enjoying the tree. So, I mean, we love that story and we're like, but I don't want to have to live it. I the what it is, but you know, it's sort of uh, a mentor said to me, you're going through this so that you can help somebody else later. And I'm like, how about if we all, how about if none of us have to go through it, but we all do. So um, to get back to that, that necessary suffering, I mean, there's a reason why we see it in storytelling because it is the pattern of life. Mm.
0: We want Mm. something,
1: we go about it. And we really do, a life that contains no suffering is those people are usually shallow and dull and boring and you don't want to be around them. Or people who go through their lives never having to look, you know, introspect and face themselves. I mean, some of those people get very successful and they become presidents. And they're you know they're they're egregious human beings or um they become you know successful owners of company but the the you know the unexamined life is not worth living hmm. Hmm.
0: yeah yeah and no, i i completely agree with you and um i mean people listen to this you you and i have had a a bit of a conversation about stories as uh, as well and um this is making me think that because we've talked about how some of the best stories that we can read or see on TV or in a theater or whatever, um, they take people on a journey, and that journey is a hard journey for them. Mm-hmm. And it's a journey which involves achieving things which look like their external achievements, but also achieving something within ourselves, mm-hmm. um, understanding ourselves better, submitting ourselves to God, mm-hmm. learning something about ourselves, sacrificing something of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that from what you're saying, it sounds like that's the that's the life that we are called to.
1: Yeah.
0: That sacrifice.
1: And and I would say probably one of the most helpful books for me um, on this was Richard, Father Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward. And that is that um, about you know, the first half of life is about certain things and the second half of life, the life that's worth living is there there is necessary suffering and you can't orchestrate your own enlightenment. You can't orchestrate that step. If you try to put it in place you're still in control, but that if you are going through this deep questioning, is it all real? What is it all been worth it? And, and I have to say, there's people who've suffered things that really is just beyond the pale, you know, that I'm not, I'm not, there's people who said, "Well, you know, you had to go through this because of blah blah blah." You know, I would have loved to have been successful at Blankety Bank. You know, without I think the, the, the people that that isn't to say if the people who've been hugely successful are are shallow people because their 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 growth and their suffering will come in another way. Who knows? Or you know, it, it's all going. You know, you can't take any of it with you. I I don't know. I I w- I, I can't begin to say everyone gets their opportunity to grow internally. But Mm. if you are going through a specific at a certain age, it might, you might be just right on schedule. for
0: that. Yeah. So you might actually be in a sense, fine, even though you feel like everything's completely not fine.
1: Exactly. That may be exactly where you need to
0: be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It it makes me wonder whether perhaps we need to treat really cautiously a, a lot of the stuff, which, some of yeah. it biblically inspired yeah. around, you know, God's going to give you things and it, God's got great plans for you and all this kind of stuff. But actually. God's idea of great plans for us might not be ours.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd like to say that God's like, hey, come with me and I'm going to completely destroy your life and it's going to be full of suffering. You know, I mean, you don't hear that, but God has something much deeper and, and more important. And God's not a, God's not a masochist. He's not a sadist. Yeah. Of course he wants good things for us. Um, but, and there will also be hardship. We do have to tread lightly because people could then throw this at someone who like, you know, horrible things like, you know, um, there's a guy named Jerry Sitzer who wrote a book call oh I can't for the name of the book um a grace disguised and like half of his family his wife and his mother and a bunch of his kids were killed by a drunk driver you're not going to tell me that's like well that's the necessary suffering you know there are terrible things to happen that happen to people great injustices and violence that are done to people that Ellie Wiesel said don't say something you can't repeat in front of burning children. You know, Mm. don't come up with some aphorism Mm. about how the world is. Uh, So I don't want to say something
0: Mm. that somebody
1: hears that and they have that, you know, she has no idea what I've gone through. And this is not, this is not part of it. Mm. There's huge evil Mm. and pain in the world. But I will say that in the course of a normal life lived, whether there you are in some kind of suffering that is unimaginable or you're in just your average everyday um pain and suffering that that's part of a human experience and you need to get around people who are safe to talk about
0: yeah 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 i get i guess as well like you have to pick up your cross and carry it but it's your cross it's not somebody else's cross yeah, so they you can't, don't, how you can't don't carry have carry to carry another person's cross. You have to carry whatever you you're given. Each of us has to carry whatever we're given, don't we? I suppose in yeah. the circumstances we're in.
1: And then it's, the discussion is like: Am I carrying the wrong cross? Have I have I gotten this wrong? Am I am I carrying someone else's burden? Am I codependent? Am I am I? Um, what kind of growth am, is, is God taking me on? Hmm. You know, um, I would say in some of my darkest times, the church was like the not the safe place to be. Um, I had people and well, you just need to get over that now. So, you know, I'm, you know, people who were really afraid to have, hear me say, I don't really know if, if God's mm-hmm. real. I, I, I mm-hmm. don't know. If, I, 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 I suspect maybe he is, but I think he's very terrible to me. And, um, at the time that my whole life fell apart, I could, I, the job, one job I could get, I was working at a church office and, uh, my pastor was great. He let me come in and just vent. He was like, no, I totally get it.
0: Yeah, and you're yeah. absolutely
1: right. And he was also he was like, oh, I know you want God to apologize to you. So tell me what that is. If, if God has to apologize to you, then he sinned against you. So you're better than he is. So he was really great in terms of listening to me and letting me vent, and then at the right time going, uh, hold up. <laughs> so somehow you <laughs> have a better idea than he does. And if yeah. that's true in the world that you're smarter than God, then we are really, and then we're really messed. And we're we're, yeah. we're doing it. But <laughs> But you need to get around safe people um, yeah. when you're going through something like that, and it might not be church people because you might no, get no, the no. people who are like, "I have everything in a box," and you know they, you know, like they have their Bible verses, and they are afraid. I think that everyone must. If you look at the great prophets and like Jeremiah, "You tricked me, and I am overwhelmed." Um, who are who are just out of the depths, I cry to you, oh Lord, mm. you know, um, turn away from me or I will be no more. Like mm. that's canon text mm. of the despair of, of, you know, crying out, where are you? Why have you left me? Mm. That, that is like, holy writ. We can't yes. do that. And if God is who he says he is, why is he, gonna, he's not going to be, intimated i mean jesus cried that out from the cross
0: absolutely yeah 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 i mean there's the bible is full of examples of this isn't it i mean i i I occasionally think about elijah um and his story which is massively insightful i think you know this guy he does this big kind of show against the prophets of baal and then he goes and has a breakdown basically yeah just kind of he, he just can't deal with it and and then you've got um but actually God is very gentle with him in that time i mean that those that story is is a, is something anybody who's going through stuff needs to look at i think
1: yeah it's just like eat this food and drink this water
0: yeah have a rest yeah have it's
1: a rest just, and and
0: this whole kind of thing yeah. about lament as well i've i I've, other reasons i've been thinking about lament recently and it's a godly thing it's a biblical it process is. it's all there you know the guys it's there. lamentations. One of the books is even named after it. It's, it's that sense of something is broken and we are lamenting, but we still have hope or we are, we, we have enough faith to go to God in lament and he brings us through, but it's not pretty. None of, you know, it's, it's, it's a messy and it has to be messy and we have to accept that.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say that this, like when I, when I told my story um, you know, it started off as, I joined a solo show class. I thought I was going to do some fun little sketches and then my life fell apart. And that class became church to me where Mm. I was just pouring out this pain and despair. Mm. I was going through and found that story. And then I went back to a sketch. I had comedy sketch. I had written where I take God to counseling that thing of railing against God and having like, that's at last God can say, now I can have a real conversation with you
0: because you're telling
1: the truth. Yeah. And, You are speaking what what really is in your mind Um, and you're, you're recognizing what's really happening is that Mm. why on earth would God be intimidated or offended by that? He's seen Mm. everything, but, but we, he invites us. I screamed and yelled at him and told him off and just, and he took it. And it was a huge relief. It mm. was a huge relief, and he was very gentle with me. And then at the right time, he's saying, "Okay, now we need to. Now I need to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is who yeah. you think
1: I am because this is. Uh, you can't just keep painting me as this jerk. That's not who I am, and you know it.
0: Yeah. And yeah. you need
1: to be willing to have a relationship with the real me because I can't keep doing this thing of you making me a jerk because I'm not.
0: But he let you kind of have a good rant oh first. many yeah. yeah lots of rants <laughs> there's a great tradition of ranting at god isn't oh, there yes. oh um, yes Oh i if you haven't ranted at god you kind of
1: then you're not being honest
0: yeah you're gonna kind of, you should try that sometimes i mean it it's not it's weird because it's not it's almost not irreverent or disrespectful it's not a negative thing it's it's that it's a contending with him isn't it it's that wrestling with god and and it's it's no holds barred in some ways, isn't it? That, that fight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's not. And and you think, you know, my, my mother and father never fought. They avoided, they avoided confrontation. And I, I don't think that they knew, I mean, they were married for 53 years until my father passed away, but my husband grew up in a family where you weren't allowed to ever fight about anything ever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the very first argument we had, he just didn't talk to me for a day because I thought he was, I mean, it was like kind of a passive aggressive thing, but he was like, no, I just, he just shut down. And our journey has been, you know, recognizing the value of, for me, it's like, you need to, you know, I'm fire and he is ice. So it's been about me learning to cool down and him learning to heat up and to, to confront yeah. it every time Yeah, we had a, an argument or a falling out or something, our, we get better. I, I was telling you earlier, my sister and I had a huge, uh, fight and didn't talk to each other. I I tried to get her to talk to me. She wouldn't, we had to get pastors involved when we sat down and talked about it. We cried and we told, we just told each other the other person was going through and we heard each other. And we, we, we have grown out of every conflict. And that's the same thing with God. I think if you're not experiencing all the emotions with that other person, you're not, I mean, you have to be, yes, God will hear everything. And then you also have to be willing to listen Yeah. and let God say, okay, yeah. here's my problems with you. Yeah. You know, stuff that really grieves me and hurts me.
0: Yeah. It
1: makes me sad and angry. And uh, again, like you're talking about like, how do you know? It's like, I'll voice this out. It's like, is that really God? Well, I don't know. You know, you have to be willing to say, it could be this. You know, we have to go on faith. And I think the longer you do it, the more you have a conversation. The the I think a lot of times we think, where is this God? It's this voice that comes on high. When I heard things coming out of my mouth that was walking with a Christian therapist through it, that said like that, that, that's not the typical thing I would say. That's a clue that it could be very well God." And there's that side of it when you really get some sort of revelation that like not your characteristic of what, how I was painting God. But the other thing is that the Holy spirit is like part of the operating system. We expect it to be the the whole, you know, God is already in you. He's he's, he's already in you that it isn't necessarily like you have to go to a prayer vigil and sit there for four hours and, and cleanse yourself of every thought for some thing. It's like, A lot of what we might call instinct or intuition is already the Holy Spirit at work. He's Mm. already part of using our natural character, our personality, our creativity to um, point us in the right direction. Of course, obviously, you have people around us. You know, you're like, if you're like the Holy Spirit's telling me to divorce my spouse and go, you know, it's it's probably, you know, like you have people around you. You want
0: to test that, friend. You
1: want to test that. But I think we get intimidated. And part of that is, is recognizing that this was the scariest thing for me. Like, for me, it was like knowing the will of God and praying and figuring it out. And I need, Lord, I need you to tell me. I mean, I was so obsessed about it. It's like, Lord, should I have a bran muffin or grapefruit for breakfast? God's like, I, I, can you, I, I really don't care. Okay. Just, I really don't care. <laughs> you know, I was so over, overthinking it. But the scariest thing for me, terror, terror. Was when I felt God saying, "I don't well, like, I don't know, should I become an actor or a writer or whatever? Like big questions is for to hear God say, I don't know, what, what do you want to do?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: No, I, I need you to make that choice because I was so afraid of making a choice. I was terrified of making a choice for the fear of making the wrong one. And also from my own growing up, I didn't really have a, a clear sense of who I was because my parents were old, m- much older. They were old enough to move. my grandparents. They had their own dysfunction. They were tired. They were in their forties when I showed up, and I never really got what we call them, mirrored. I didn't get mirrored, so I didn't really know who I was. So the idea of God saying, "What do you you want to do?" and I'm going, "I, I don't know." Mm. I was terrified. And a lot of us, we rely on God. Tell me what to do because we're afraid to make choices and take mm. responsibility and mm. and taking a risk. But that was, and then when I finally realized that, oh, I could, I could make a bold choice and then figure it out from there. There's huge freedom in that, and that like God, like God isn't trying to dictate everything. A lot of it, He's like, hey, well, what do you what do you think? Can you imagine yeah. God saying, well, what what do you think? <clears throat>
0: Well, that's really scary, isn't it? Scary. And, and I wonder if it's, I do wonder whether it's especially scary for creative people, for creative people of faith. It's like kind of <clears throat> who are doing that kind of does God really, you know, is actually, is entertaining people a godly thing to do? Is, enter, you know, is, is being in the entertainment business like a serious thing? You know, why am I not out in the mission field or being a pastor or, or whatever? Right. And, and if you're an, artist or a poet or an actor or a writer or a dancer whatever you are maybe it's maybe those i don't know whether this is true or not maybe maybe if you're one of those kind of people you are all the more thinking is this really what i should be doing And you know is or has god actually has god been shouting at me all this time about going and doing some really worthy and serious thing that actually i he's not really asking me to do at all
1: Right. We, we, we think, you know, I need to go be a missionary or, or this or that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that is the what's underneath that is the human desire to have, create meaning and to have your life be meaningful. And that's absolutely right. But I remember after just going through a long slog, because I would say I always pulled my punches as a creative person. I thought, you know, this isn't really important in the grand scheme of things. So I'm not going to really give it my all because I was terrified. But then I remember hearing the guys who created this show called Home Improvement, which was really popular. And they just were like, well, you know, we were really good at it, So why not? There were all, interestingly enough, some of the most successful comedians in particular were Catholic. Nate Fallon, Jim Gaffigan, um, Stephen Colbert. And I think, I don't know, maybe the Catholics had just a much better thing of like, well, why not? Why, what What is this? This kind of thing that came up out of the evangelical movement um, and and the the, of of like this, you know, I love Billy Graham and he did amazing things. But there was this thing of like sitting down and finding the most important thing in your life and going and doing it. And this overemphasis on worthiness rather than what are you good at? What do you love doing? you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. It's it's you fully alive in your element. That the Catholics were mercifully free of this thing that sort of started in the 50s and 60s and became this thing of like knowing the grand plan and, 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 and that it had to be some deep and meaningful thing. Because I certainly did. I thought my life isn't worthy if mm. I'm not... Um, mm. And it's even more so for creative people because it isn't like some people can be like, yeah, I'll be a dentist or I'll go be an accountant or, you know, and then my life will be found meaning in other things. But when you're doing something that's very hard that you have to give so much to, um, not that creatives are the only um, type of people. I mean, other careers are medicine or or politics demands a lot, but it's so precarious and you can second guess yourself. But the evangelical mindset um, in the latter half of the 20th century it became this grand burden, and was really hard on creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so jealous that people are Catholic are like, "Yeah, well, why not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> why not be a comedian? Why not or a painter or whatever?"
1: And you know, you're, you're going to spend. And this is other things. Practically, it's going to be a long time before you'll make a living at it. And maybe you'll never make a living at it. But well, why not anyway? You know, go find a. Career. That's why I tell my students: It's like find a career that pays the best money. Don't you know? Try to avoid waitering. Take an editing class. Learn how to edit. Learn how to do something yeah. that skill that can that can support your art. You know, do it for fun and for free, Um, but still do it. Life is going to happen anyway. You should do it. But you know, find something that you can sustain yourself, so you're not like suck. You know, you know. Do you want fries with that? You know. Yeah. Um, but,
0: yeah sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it 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 sounds like it's kind of more permission but less expectation we're giving ourselves more permission to do a thing try a thing just try it and and but less kind of like it must be only i can only wait until god's told me and then it will by definition be a success and then when it isn't i have a crisis or something
1: yes And, and i the catholics were mercifully free of that now find find people who um
0: will support so we're coming towards the end of our chat now is there Are there any other instances or maybe one other particular instance you want to talk about around where you were close to God, even either because you just felt lovingly close to him or you were close to him because you were contending with him, maybe?
1: Well, sometimes there's little moments. Um, um, I was talking to my therapist. I I was ranting about God. I was just, you know, just like blah, 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 blah. And I heard this little voice in my head like it was God saying, that's my girl. (laughs) <laughs> and that was really remarkable.
0: So he does love you after all.
1: Well, the, it, it, again, like, where did that voice come from? You know, I'm like, Aah! and he's like, ah, that is so Susan. That's sure, you know, that's my girl. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but even there was delight in that. I think it's different for a lot of people. Um, I, I saw the total solar eclipse and I felt profound awe and wonder with God there. Um, another thing, um, a friend of mine, we've been having a conversation about God for the last 20 years. We were roommates and, you know, it was a long journey for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a cancer survivor, uh, into it a lot, a lot of new agey stuff, but she started, you know, listening a lot more to, you know, reading CS Lewis. And, um, when the pandemic hit, she was, you know, single, she had a lot of, you know, cool Hollywood friends, but she's like, I don't want to be alone on the weekend. Can I? Can I stay over? And she stayed on our couch. And, you know, when our church opened enough on the patio, she wanted to go. And God mm. would just, God had lured her back, lured her back. Mm. Um, mm. And she came over every weekend and we made masks. And our, uh, Halloween weekend, we went to Sedona. We took her with us. And then we went to the Grand Canyon. I didn't know this, but she had always wanted to go. And she had been listening to Stephen Colbert and he had quoted, it was right before the election, and he quoted uh, Lord of the Rings where Sam, you know, they're crossing the valley of death, the shadow of death, basically.
0: And Sam looks
1: up in the sky and he sees that star. Oh,
0: such a great line, isn't it? Yes, that
1: um, this shadow is uh, just a passing thing and that there's light and beauty up there, which no shadow can touch. And then Sam goes to sleep and sleeps. And she was so impacted by that and and Stephen Colbert reading it. And she was asking my husband, what's the verse? What's the, what is the passage? And Larry knew it by heart because my husband. So we had this amazing time and with this friend and having been her friend for 20 years and having this conversation with her about, it's okay to question. It's okay to not know. God has totally handled that. And that at the, you know, this last, you know, last summer, she was like, can we go to church and, um, um, let's pray, you know, pray before every meal. Well, um, two weeks after, um, we went to Sedona, she had a massive brain hemorrhage and died instantly. And I look back at our 20 year friendship and that conversation And I look at COVID and I see God orchestrated it so that she would be at our house every weekend and he could really bring her Mm. to him. Mm. And I didn't know it, but Sedona and the Grand Canyon were on her bucket list. And I, my, my um, rector did, um, did the zoom memorial and we had people from all over the world, you know, she had so many friends and so many people who were not religious and that God, I know where she is. And she is free from all, you know, she, she had said to her, uh, acupuncturist three days before this happened, because she had dealt with cancer and the threat of cancer coming back and all sorts of health problems as as a result of the anti-cancer drugs, she said to her, her acupuncturist, I would rather be healthy and know it or drop dead. And three days later, I felt like God's like, I'm going to do you a solid because I know what's coming. And he took her home and I felt God's presence. And if anything has taught me more, if God is in it, in it, God plays the longing with people and you cannot see the whole story right now, but you will, you may not see it until you, until I'm, you know, on the other side with her, but Mm. I really felt. God's presence through all of that in great grief and great comfort knowing wow look what you did
0: for my friend that's that's great that is a great story (laughs) um so just to finish Susan if if people want to find out a little bit more about you and your work and what you're about um how would they do that
1: Um, Well, um, you can probably find my page at Chapman University um, in the Dodge College of Film and Media Arts, but also my website. And I'll tell you, I don't update it a lot. I do have a public page on Facebook, but um, my website is thesusan.com as in the one and only. So you can go to thesusan.com or email me at susan at thesusan.com.
0: Great. Okay, then. Well, Susan, thank you very much for Sharing this stuff with us today. You're really welcome. great conversation. Great to have you with us.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Testimony Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all of the major podcast distributors and also follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.testimony.com. Christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. You can also contact us by email at thetestimonycast at gmail.com. That's thetestimonycast at gmail.com. I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and God bless you.